Want to advertise your business in a cost-effective way? It's time to give podcast advertising a try. Research shows a high rate of podcast listeners made a purchase as a result of an ad they heard on a podcast. Visit podbean.com slash brands to launch a cost-effective podcast advertising campaign in minutes. That's P-O-D-B-E-A-N dot com slash brands. Welcome to Yolitics, the home of cold beer and hot takes on Texas politics. Hey there, welcome back. Another episode of Yolitics here. And um, Wheeler, what are you drinking, man? We were told to get to this a little quicker than we normally do because we jawbone for a little too long, evidently. Oh, who told us that? Oh, you didn't get the memo? No, I don't get these memos. But you know what? That doesn't make me sad. I don't get the nice ones from the boss for sure, uh, which means I don't have to get the negative ones either, I think. Well played. It balances. Well, I'm I'm keeping it classy today because I had to come into work. You get to, you know, kick your feet up and be at home all the time. Uh, But I had to come into work, and so I had to rely on the 7-Eleven across the street. And yes, they gave it to me in a paper bag. No joke. I didn't ask for that. Uh, And the only Texas beer I could find in there, blame it on 7-Eleven. They're headquartered here in Texas, too. Uh, the only one I could find, they may have had others, is a Shiner Bach, and it's this enormous, I mean, this is more than I usually, it's a 24-ounce. I didn't get a 40. <laughs> you got, I'm not going to drink this whole thing. They gave it to you, though. <laughs> or I might. They gave it to you in a sack. In a paper a, in a, sack. A paper bag, paper bag there, and you, you bought a roadie and walked across the street to the television station. I did, in a full suit in the middle of the day. And they, so, it, yes. When you walked I, out, they're like, that was Jason yeah, he's got a problem. <laughs> he's on the air in about 90 minutes and he's killing a 24 ounce. The only way I could have made it worse is if I had asked them if they had a crazy straw. Uh, it was, yeah, it wasn't my proudest moment ever. So that's what I'm having. Uh, 24 ounces worth. I have enough for both of us here, but what are you drinking? I want to see you crack Since that we've open right now. we've got to be right quick now. now, as I understand yeah, it. Lay, lay the mic down and crack that open. I, I want to I see this. This thing is going to sound like a bomb going off the size it is. It's got a pin that you pull out. It's like a grenade. There it is, 24 ounces. Put it back in that brown bag, too, man. <laughs> yeah, why not? Why not? I might as well live the full experience. <laughs> I'm going to do that. What are you having? I'm having Because I think I'm going too long here, and I am afraid I'll be included no, on that I'm, next email thread. Yeah, you probably will be. I'll make sure you get the memo. Um, I'm go. having a leftover here from the weekend. This is an Allstadt. Oh, yeah, because you were down in Fredericksburg. Oktoberfest. Yeah. yeah, and I went nice. down to Fredericksburg for Oktoberfest uh, over the weekend. Uh, good little getaway. Um, I didn't have Absolutely. as much as the professionals that I went with. Uh, <laughs> they, they, uh, they showed me up at every turn. Did they have more than I'm having here today? No, I, mean, I think, <laughs> yeah, you're, you're doing a lot there. You're doing a lot of damage right there, but. Yeah, it's called a Shiner Big Boy, a whole lot of cold, it says at the top of the can here. And yes, I am keeping it in the sack. Now, how is that one? That's good. It's, uh, you know, it's a Oktoberfest, so it's more like a, um, like a Martzen, Meritzen beer. I'm sure we'll have somebody of German descent tell me how to pronounce it correctly. But, uh, you know, it's rich, dark, malty. I feel like I need to change my life. Uh, I mean, you're going off to like Fredericksburg and enjoying the hill country and bringing back wonderful samples. And I am tethered to work, uh, only getting out long enough to go across the street to a 7-Eleven to get a, a, a beer and a paper sack. A roadie. Something's wrong you, here. You know what I did, though? I, I'll, I'll say this quickly because um, I, I, you're, we're already over yeah, time. We're, I bet. we're way over on this. So I'll tell you briefly, you know, Fredericksburg, I'm sure everyone knows where it is. But just in case you don't, it's uh, just kind of like do. Um, 
due west of of Austin, um, mm-hmm. about an hour outside of Austin. Normally, I'd hop in the car and run down run down I thirty five from Dallas to uh, to drive to. It's about four and a half hours probably to get there. But the uh, the guys I was with said that you know they're big ways. W-A-Z-E fans, of oh, which yeah. I'm not. My wife loves it, but it always has me like turn left on a residential street to get around something. <laughs> I'm like, just let's just go. Um, right. But it, it, it told us to get in the car in Dallas and drive out towards, you know, like Cisco, halfway to yeah. Abilene and then turn left and go down the back roads. We did That's that. Different. And it was it was like the same amount of time, which was surprising. Uh, but we went through all kinds of, of cool little towns. Uh, Goldthwaite, Pretty, P-R-I-D-D-Y. Um, <laughs> only in Texas. Yeah. Uh, Comanche, uh, Goldthwaite, which I just mentioned there, Cherokee and, and Lano, Lano, Yano, however you want to pronounce it. I, so I'm always just speeding along down a freeway. You're getting out among the people, like going through towns. Man, it, it's only like, uh, you know, it, it's, it's an hour over from Austin straight down, but the, the topography yeah. had already changed, which was, oh, nice. which was really cool. You could see mesas, you could see mountains, you could, uh, you know, you could, you could tell it was different. So that, that was it was nice. It was 48 hours down there, but it, it felt a lot longer than that just because it was a different scene. I'm going to have to remember that route uh, next time I, I go down there if I ever start living the life like you do. And Waze lets you know, too, about the cops all the way down, too. You'd have to slow down a tad, though. It, it probably wouldn't work for you <laughs> running 90 miles an hour down these little uh, state routes. And you Yeah, because I get to go so fast down 35. We all know what that's like. Back I was. Uh, so uh, we better get on to the, the topic here because we're probably already getting a nasty gram about now. Um, so you know, here's the thing. Here's kind of the cool thing about where I am versus where you are today in the comforts of your own home. Uh, I happen to be at the polling site from November of 2020 that was the largest in in Dallas County, certainly, but probably in, in all of North Texas, uh, which happens to be the American Airlines Center where the Mavs uh, play basketball. And uh, it just so happens that today we are still talking about the 2020 election. It, you know, we're, all, we're almost a year out now from that election, and we're still talking about not just the election, but the actual vote count. So, yeah, if you're keeping track of this, Arizona just finished its independent um, audit of its election. It found no fraud. And now Texas is starting up its own. Uh, it's, it's a sampling more than a full audit. But but let me uh, let me walk you through why why this is going on. On the twenty third of September, at ten fifty six in the morning, um, I get all these fundraising emails from all types of uh, all types of candidates and campaigns, et cetera, from school board all the way up to president. But at ten twenty, uh, what was it? September twenty third at ten fifty six in the morning. We get a, uh, a a campaign letter from Donald Trump, his Save America PAC, and it says, Dear Governor Abbott, despite my big win in Texas, I hear that Texans want an election audit. And he goes mm-hmm. on to say that we got to have one in Texas, that Texans are demanding it. And you know what happened? Let me pull the, the, the next one up here. That was at 1056 that morning. At 722, the same day, Thursday, the 23rd, the Texas Secretary of State's office announced it would have an audit of the 2020 general election in four big Texas counties. Hmm. So if that doesn't look like that Texas is being run from Mar-a-Lago, I'm not sure what does. 
Uh, but no, 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 Jason. Uh, governor Abbott came out after that and said, oh, absolutely not. There is no such thing as a Governor Trump. Uh, we were already doing this. This was already in the works, even though uh, a lot of uh, folks uh, in elections said that they this is the first they had heard uh, of an audit, uh, quote unquote, audit being done uh, in Texas. And, and, and they said this is the first we've heard of it after former President Trump demanded it. But Governor Abbott standing by that, no, 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 we, we had this in the plans the the whole way and then uh you know a curveball because former president trump came back for more he he did come back for more and and what's interesting uh, about this whole thing is is that republicans in texas aren't quite sure how to read this thing because republicans won this state mm-hmm. in november of 2020 they the the texas democrats thought they might be able to get a majority in the state house for the first time in 20 years it didn't happen. Donald Trump won this state. Um, Republicans had a, a, a clean sweep. And in fact, the the uh, top staff at the Texas Democratic Party turned over because of the results of this. So Republicans mm-hmm. aren't quite sure how to read this thing. And and that's kind of, you know, add, added a, a different dynamic to this entire conversation of what, what you know, Governor Abbott wants, of what Donald Trump wants and what Texas Republicans want. So we've talked to a a few different people over the last two or three days, and we want to play a few short clips here of both sides before we get to our guest um, here on this episode. So the first person we want you to hear from is subject to this audit here in Texas. It's Dallas County Judge Clay Jenkins. He is one of the four counties. His is one of the four counties, rather, that will be audited and uh, we, we got him on the phone the other day, and, and I asked him, well, you know, what this is all about. Here's what he said. First question here, what will Dallas County physically have to do to comply with this audit when it eventually begins? Really nothing. Um, we're going to give them the information, the request on the Freedom of Information Act. All they're going to do is look at public information, and um, they're going to hold on to that for months and months and months and not do anything with it. Uh, while the Republicans push out a political narrative, um, you know, the dead people vote and the hordes of illegal uh, immigrants vote, et cetera. Uh, and then after they look at it after the Republican primary, they'll quietly tell us what we already know, which is that elections in America are safe and secure. And they're also safe and secure in Collin, Tarrant, Dallas and Harris County. But the purpose of this is not a real audit. It's just to push a political narrative that there could be fraud, and therefore that justifies making it harder and harder for people in urban areas and young people to vote. So, Judge, they're not coming into Dallas County and taking apart the machines or examining the the cards that the votes are cast on or anything like that? No, nothing like that. This is purely a political stunt. The Secretary of State's office says it's not going to begin this, this quote, audit until uh, next spring, as you kind of alluded to there. That'll be a year and a half since the November 2020 election, which is what the governor and Donald Trump are, are curious about, an election that, that he won, obviously. What do, you, what do you think this is all about? This is all about politics. It's all about undermining democracy and undermining uh, the public's faith in the vote to justify uh, more voter suppression laws, making it harder for people to vote, to shrink the amount of time people have to vote, because uh, what the people in power want is they want as few people to vote as possible. 
because that's how they stay in power. They're no longer trying to win elections based on the power of their ideas or based on their competency in governing. They're trying to win elections by stopping people from voting. I want to switch off here in the final moments and ask you about uh, the political landscape for next year. Here we are in October and we don't have a Democrat running for for governor yet. Um, Half the people surveyed in a Quinnipiac uh, poll the other day said that Beto O'Rourke and Matthew McConaughey uh, would not make a good governor. Is there someone you think that would make a good gubernatorial candidate for Democrats? You know, I'm I'm waiting to see who, who emerges there. I know this, the governor that we have now has failed us when it came to protecting our, our power pool. And Lord knows he's failed us on COVID. Uh, you know, this governor is more interested in governing based on polls of what primary voters want to hear than based on science. And pandemics and viruses do not respond to polls. They respond to leadership and science. I've heard your name bounced around as a potential candidate. Any, any thoughts about that this cycle or next cycle? You know, I'm focused on beating COVID, um, on leading us out of that here in North Texas. And, uh, you know, that's where my attention will be uh, this election cycle. Judge, we appreciate the time. Thank you. So the Mm. judge didn't turn off his uh, his email there. You heard his email and he didn't let everyone in his house know that uh, that that he was on the call with us. So clearly he needs to oil his doors, too. It is the creakiest door. He has a a perfect Halloween decoration. (laughs) We're in but the season. We're, we're going to get to our guest uh, in a moment and kind of go through all the stuff that, that the judge said. But I, I want you to hear the other side of this, the, the, the conservative side, the Republican side. And it's from a state representative named Briscoe Kane. He is a Republican who represents Deer Park um, and, and a lot of the eastern side of Harris County down in the Houston area. And he's also the chairman of the Texas House Elections Committee. And, and we asked him some of the same questions. Here's what he told us. What do you expect this forensic election audit is going to find all these months later? I think the forensic election audit uh, is going to find that Donald Trump won the election. But you make a good question. What is a forensic election audit? And I think um, by now people are starting to realize the secretary of state, um, after they made their first statement, have since kind of come back and some would say, I might say, um, kind of backpedaled a bit. Um, and begin to define what it is. Essentially, what they're doing is things they could already do, uh, things like risk-limiting audits that are already done. So I'm not really sure of, uh, of what's going to be revealed um, by this audit. Is this something you support? Absolutely. I, I of course, support auditing our elections, um, not because I believe um, it would change the outcomes or something, but I do believe um, – and especially from some polling I've seen and from testimony I've received in the House Elections Committee, that people have doubts about their elections from both sides of things. And I think the more we can give people faith um, in their elections, the more likely they are to participate. There are some on the other side who say the, the whole idea of running an, an election audit or forensic audit all these months later just uh, kind of undermines the credibility of our system. What do you think about that comment? It's it's a, a hard thing to believe if uh, having an audit that you trust in somehow undermines the credibility of the system. I don't know. Now, should one be done any time? Uh, no, I don't think we should go back and always question things. Um, but right now, there may be special circumstances. However, we should be careful on how we do it. 
depending on what the forensic audit is, for example, if it's a third party that is going into the software and equipment of our voting machines in Texas, right now under our current law, that would decertify those machines. Big Dallas County, for example, or someone up there that spent recently a few hundred million dollars on auto equipment, all of that would have to go in the trash. So when we're talking about expenses, depending on the type of audit that is done, that can be really expensive. And at some point, you can see where you start to get pushback, even from conservatives like myself, where we're going, you know, I'm okay with doing certain sampling sizes, but a full thing of all machines could be around a billion dollar price tag. Well, what do you think this audit is going to cost with the four counties, uh, Harris and Dallas and Tarrant and Collin? What, what do you expect that lawmakers will have to uh, set aside for this? I'm sincerely unaware on that one. Some of it's going to depend on, you know, really the cooperation with the counties. And again, some of these audits actually have already been performed by the counties themselves. Uh, and so I think it'll probably be pretty efficient. Again, it's going to depend on whether the Secretary of State's doing this really internally or whether they bring any third parties in. Um, but as the code's been set out, uh, the, the audit that they're doing is something that the counties generally automatically do. And so in a way, I guess we'll be double checking their homework. Yeah, well, let me let me explore that just for a moment, Mr. Chairman. It, some of this has already been done by the counties because it's in statute. Is this a waste of time? Is this politics? What do you think this is? Well, everything uh, under the pink dome, I'd say, is is politics. But whether it's a waste of time is another question. I think it actually is valuable. One, it will show us whether we need newer or different laws regarding our auditing systems. It helps test essentially all the tools that are in the toolbox for the Secretary of State's office, gives us an idea of what they can do and maybe their limitations so that the legislature can know whether we need to improve upon it. Um, I think it gives us a reason to discuss things like House Bill 16 or House Bill 17 or Senator Betancourt's audit bills um, and to really analyze what exactly, if we were to audit something, how far it should go and what it should look like. Again, there's a lot of words out there, forensic audit and this kind of audit. And uh, so far in state law, we actually don't have those things defined. And that discussion needs to be had. We'll wait and see how this uh, unfolds. Chairman Kane, thank you for the time. Thank you, Jason. And God bless. So, Jason, to get what you alluded to a moment ago, Donald Trump has up the stakes on this. He says that, uh, you know, let's do a full audit. An entire audit that could cost up to a billion dollars, as you heard uh, Chairman uh, Briscoe Kane say there just a moment ago. Uh, but that's that's not what's happening here. He is getting Abbott's getting pressure from one of his primary opponents, Don Huffines, to do a mm-hmm. full audit. That obviously plays well with the Republicans, uh, the Republican base. Who knows if that's going to happen? Which there is the politics uh, that you were discussing and uh, interesting quote from him saying that everything that happens under the pink dome is politics. You know, it it does bring up too, Jason, you know, there have been a couple of these exercises in other states uh, and we have actually seen uh, former President Trump lose some votes uh, that uh, he had previously had uh, when they went back and counted again uh, in those uh, exercises. And now it's coming here to Texas, at least in some form. And you do wonder about the chicken in the the egg theory uh, there, you know, you kind of got into that a little bit with him uh, where he was saying that, you know, uh, uh, polls show that, you know, people don't trust the 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 election system. But when you've had months and months and months, we've seen it over the months that uh, more and more Republicans believe that the election was stolen uh, after they've been hearing for months and months and months that the election was stolen. Uh, And so then you start going through and doing the audits and so forth. And and that's supposed to put 
that to bed, uh, especially in a state that the former president won. And you wonder, will it be enough to put it to bed, uh, even if it comes out and says, yeah, he won by as much as we thought. Is there still skepticism about the whole process just because people keep hearing that things are going to have to be audited? Yeah, and I doubt it's enough to put it to bed, but our guest on this episode is someone like all of our guests, much smarter than Jason and I. And we are Thank going goodness. <laughs> definitely so. We're going to get to him right after this quick break. All right, welcome back to Yaltics. And we've got Matthew Wilson uh, on the line with us right now. Uh, Dr. Matthew Wilson, I yeah, should don't, say. Don't underplay professor. him here. He went to school for that, man. Come on, Jason. <laughs> and that's a lot of school, too. Uh, he uh, he does political science. He's a professor at uh, SMU here in Dallas. And uh, we've got him on the line here with us to sort of put all of this in perspective as this whole uh, thing goes forward here in Texas about will we or won't we be doing a full audit? Democrats say that this, this undermines the integrity of elections and is all about creating doubt in the system. System. Republicans say, let's just make sure that the rules are followed. The truth is obviously somewhere in the middle. As a political observer, how are you reading this? Well, it really depends fundamentally on the character of the audit that gets done. Uh, there's nothing in principle wrong with auditing elections. In fact, when done properly, periodic audits of elections should enhance confidence in the electoral administration procedures uh, because voters like to be reassured that, in fact, things are administered properly, votes are counted properly. We know that the people who are voting are supposed to be voting and the people who aren't aren't. If that's what an audit makes sure of, uh, then that should be a good thing for people's confidence uh, in the electoral system. Where it could become problematic is if people exaggerate any sort of, uh, you know, findings of irregularities to be some sort of grand conspiracy theory or mass fraud or overstate the case of whatever comes out of the uh, audit. Because almost certainly an audit is going to find at least isolated irregularities or things that should be cleaned up. That does not mean that the electoral system is broken or that any particular election was stolen from any particular candidate. So really the, the read on this from the electorate comes in how it's presented by those doing the audit and whether it's in fact, you know, kind of a fair, open, above board procedure. Dr. Wilson, I've been hearing concerns from some, though, that here we are almost a year out from this 2020 election, and we sort of see this traveling roadshow going around the country demanding audits and recounts, uh, and and there are fears that that erodes faith in voting, that that erodes faith in the process and the officials and democracy itself. Is there a danger from your perspective there of uh, a sort of, as you would, uh, endless election? Election, where we have an election, we count the votes, we recount them, recount them, recount them, recount them for years, maybe all the way up to the next election. Yeah, clearly that's not where we want to go as a democracy, having a kind of perpetual uncertainty and a perpetual reexamination and relitigation of the last election. That definitely undermines faith in the legitimacy of government and definitely is a detriment to democracy. Um, you know, ideally what we'd like to see is the question of, Uh, refining and reforming election procedures, auditing any irregularities, to be separated from the question of whether the 2020 election was somehow stolen from Donald Trump. Uh, 
But of course, in our political environment, we can't separate those two things. It's almost impossible to move ahead with any examination of our election procedures and attempts to reform or to create greater transparency in them without somehow lending credence to the idea that Donald Trump is the truly legitimate president of the United States. And it's too bad because in theory, we ought to be able to do the one without suggesting the other, but that's just not the political world we're living in right now. And so therefore those two things tend to get conflated in the public mind. And to reiterate, just for our listeners, I know everyone probably realizes this, but but the Secretary of State at the time in Texas in November of 2020, even the governor of the state of Texas, Greg Abbott, said that there were no irregularities in Texas, that everything was fine in Texas, Republican-controlled state. Um, let me go back to the the uh, fundraising letter that started okay, all this. Can I add one thing to that? Jason? Yeah, hop, just please. Quick. Yes, sir. Um, I think it's important to note that Republicans did exceptionally well in Texas in 2020. They, in fact, exceeded expectations. So if there was any surprise, it was on the upside for Republicans, where Democrats fell completely flat in their bid to capture state legislative seats, where Trump won the state at the presidential level fairly comfortably, where Republicans performed well in every statewide contest. I mean, this was a year where Republicans enjoyed significant success in Texas electoral politics. So it's a little bit strange for uh, if Republicans are pushing any kind of grievance story with regard. Now, of course, what they'll say is they don't have a specific complaint or charge of you know fraudulent outcome in any particular race. They just want to audit the procedures to make sure that going forward, there's full transparency and confidence in the system. If that's true, so be it. The problem is it gets conflated with this big national story about how somehow Trump was cheated. And that's that's the source of the political problem. Well, and actually, the former president has made it sound as though uh, there is something nefarious going on, basically warning the governor that if, you know, a law isn't passed uh, to to do more audits in the future that, uh, you know, quote, Democrats are going to keep doing their thing. They'll turn this state blue if you don't uh, draw a line right now with the law and and these audits. Yeah, let me let me jump to the letter real quick that that he he wrote that started this whole thing. It was a fundraising letter, which is something that, that gets left out of this a lot. It's a Save America PAC, which is the right. political action committee that, that former President Trump is running. And it's uh, I get a lot of these emails from all sides. But sure. it says, Dear Governor Abbott, despite my big win in Texas, I hear Texans want an election audit. You know, your fellow Texans have big questions about the November 2020 election. There, there has been some rumor in all this um, that... It might not have been President Trump who wrote this, and it might not have been someone on his staff uh, or the fundraising committee uh, for the PAC that wrote this. Do you think this might have been planted by somebody inside the Texas government who who wants this uh, this House bill passed? What is it, House or Senate Bill ninety seven? Any, I mean, what do you knows? think about that? Right. You know, I'm really hesitant to pile conspiracy theory on top of conspiracy theory uh, to try to suggest that there's a conspiracy among those who are suggesting that there might be a conspiracy. I mean, there's there's all kinds of layers uh, and all kinds to this onion that you could peel back. But, But, you know, it's certainly true that that President Trump and his people want a series of audits to take place all over the United States, that, that they are convinced and It is important that we remember the context for this. I mean, questions about the propriety of election administration didn't just arise randomly in 2020. They they arose because 
in a whole host of states, actually, ironically, Texas less than most, but in a whole host of states, there were dramatic changes to the historical voting rules because of the pandemic, right? And so all of these states around the country implemented these uh, by-mail voting provisions or drive-through voting provisions like we saw in Harris County, kind of on the fly. And so given that, just in isolation, it's not unreasonable to say, hey, maybe we should look back and see how these things actually worked, right? Was there a smooth administration of all of these new voting procedures that were adopted in relatively short order? Um, of course, that has gotten conflated with the question of whether the election was, quote unquote, stolen from Donald Trump. And so it becomes very difficult to ask the former reasonable questions without appearing to be endorsing the conspiracy theory. Uh, and, and that's why we're in a difficult pass here. Whatever the motivation is here, whether it's uh, to raise money or gin up support or stay relevant in the news. Uh, Dr. Wilson, how unorthodox is it for someone who yes, lost the overall election, but won in a state. They won the popular vote in a state to then come back to that state and say, I'd like that vote audited. That's pretty unorthodox. Yeah. And practically, I can't produce anything. That is, no, you know, no matter what would come out of a Texas election audit from 2020, it realistically can't do anything to improve President Trump's claims or electoral fortunes. I mean, he won every elector from the state of Texas. And so uh, that does lead one to question why President Trump would really care uh, about this issue, specifically in Texas with regard to 2020. And that's what has given rise to, th to some of the speculation that this may be, be being pushed by someone else, someone within the state of Texas, uh, kind of under the, the cover or using the Trump name. Um, that's speculation. We don't know that that's the case, but it would be a highly unorthodox move for the winning candidate. Uh, and the candidate who won pretty comfortably and who had good coattails at the state, bringing a lot, a lot of his fellow partisans into office behind him to ask for some sort of in-depth examination of the results because you know, there's nothing for him to be gained tangibly with regard to 2020. The, the audit is contingent on the legislature setting aside funds. What happens if the legislature decides it might not want to set aside funds for this? Then you've got a couple of options. So the idea could just die and there just wouldn't be an audit. Uh, alternatively, you could have something like what we saw in Arizona, where private groups raised money to try to fund an election audit. But that gets really dicey because then you start to say, OK, if you've got an audit effort that's being funded by private entities, to what extent should they receive cooperation from state entities? To what extent should they should private entities be given access to the records that they would need uh, to perform some sort of audit? So it's a very messy process if auditors go the private funding route. Not to mention, if you say you're defending election integrity, it, it sort of tarnishes that, doesn't it? If you have one side or the other, regardless of who's behind it, paying for that audit and, and sort of pulling in the people to do the audit. That's right, because then you would, the next question you would ask is not just who's paying for it, but who are they paying? Who are the people that would be performing the audit? Are they people with a track record of credibility? Are they people that have, you know, nonpartisan uh, high integrity election monitoring credentials, or are they a partisan outfit? And if they're a partisan outfit that's being paid, that that calls into even more question what of any value could be gained out of the audit effort. 
So right now, as we're having this conversation, the the audit is only for four counties, two Republican counties, Collin County and Tarrant County, and two Democratic counties, uh, Dallas County and uh, Harris County. But there is political pressure on Governor Abbott to widen this. Uh, Donald Trump has suggested that he should do an entire audit. Don Huffines, who's the former state senator from Dallas, who's running against uh, Governor Abbott in the Republican primary, uh, has really been attacking Abbott on this, too. What do you expect to happen? Because it seems like Abbott has has caved at every turn. Abbott seems to be surprisingly afraid of a challenge from his right. That is, all of the polling suggests that he would crush Don Huffman's or that he would uh, crush Colonel West if they had a Republican primary today. He he leads them by margins of you know, 40, 50 points in the polls. And yet he still seems to a certain degree to be running scared of a right wing challenge. Uh, and if that plays true to form, then he would be inclined to agree with some of these pushes for more extensive auditing. Um, I think actually strategically, Abbott should be more concerned about alienating voters in the center, because if he's going to lose next year, and I don't think that he will, let me make clear, I think Greg Abbott is going to be reelected governor. But if he loses, it's much more likely that he's going to lose the general election to Beto O'Rourke or Matthew McConaughey than it is that he's going to lose a primary to Don Huffins. Uh, and, and I think that that would be a smarter political calculus to be thinking about appearing reasonable in the general than to be locking down the right flank. Well, considering that, why in the world is, is Abbott so concerned? Because I've seen the same polls that show generally that Abbott's underwater uh, you know, statewide. But in the Republican circles, he still seems popular. And I was talking to a Republican uh, consultant the other day who says that, that uh, you know, Republican voters don't hold any of this against him. They, he said that they held the, the power outages back in January and February against him, but nothing else. So right. I, I don't understand why the governor is playing into all this. Well, and also, uh, how much more could conservatives really ask from Greg Abbott? I mean, he shepherded through the election reform bill in the state legislature. Uh, He signed this very strong pro-life legislation that has made big national news. Uh, He has advanced and extended gun rights under his watch. I mean, you go up and down the list and, you know, it's conservative core cause after conservative core cause that Abbott has embraced and championed in the legislative session. It would be very hard for conservatives to put together a realistic, coherent case that Greg Abbott is some sort of rhino. Now, I mean, obviously, that's what Don Huffines is going to say, because that's what he has to say. Right. That's his only way to try to win in the primary is to somehow paint Abbott as a kind of wishy washy centrist who doesn't share conservative values. But given what we've seen transpire in Texas over the last six months, that's a really hard case to make. And I think Abbott's got more wiggle room on his right than he seems to believe. Uh, going back to our uh, metaphor, though, does it add another layer to the onion uh, for uh, Governor Abbott here that he may feel like he does need to appease the former president to get support in 2022? But yet uh, there's been a lot of speculation that Governor Abbott may 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 want to make a run for the presidency in 2024. How much does he uh, want to appease uh, former President Trump? Well, that would be the context these kind of moves would make more sense. 
That is, if he's really looking at getting reelected governor in 2022, his tacking to the right really does seem like an overkill, given the polls that we've been talking about. Um, it would make more sense in the context of contemplating a 2024 run when he has to establish bona fides among national Republicans. Uh, and we know that Donald Trump will be a big player in, in shaping that race one way or another. Uh, and certainly that the Trump base will be significant in shaping the outcome of that race. So that potentially explains more than looking to the dynamics of 2022 about why Abbott would be especially keen to appease uh, the Trump hmm. base. And my last question for you is uh, over the next few months, as this thing kind of unfolds here, what are you going to be watching for in this? I'll be watching to see whether, in fact, the legislature appropriates funds for this. Uh, so we'll see whether there's a desire to actually spend state money to see this done. And then if it is done, whether the results are above board and bipartisan, who does the examination? What kinds of questions do they ask? What is the tone and tenor of their report? Uh, and then whether, in fact, we see any kind of proposals that would genuinely increase transparency or the efficiency of electoral administration in these counties. Like I said, it is possible to do an audit that is smart, that is fair, and that actually improves electoral administration. It's also possible to do an audit that's a sham and a partisan clown show. And well, I would certainly hope that if this audit goes forward, that it's the former rather than the latter. And that's what I would be looking for. My last question uh, is a little bit longer term focused. Is this going to be, Professor Wilson, is this going to be our new normal? Is this what we're going to see after these big elections when, especially if it's close, where one side is going to question it and uh, just continue to ask for recounts and audits and there will be a loss of faith among at least half of the electorate? Is, is this what we're in for going forward? Well, that's what I fear because it's it's been a trend that's been percolating through our politics really going back to 2000. Now, of course, 2000 was an extraordinarily close election. And you could understand why people questioned aspects of the outcome there since we were talking about 527 votes in one state that uh, determined the elect, uh, electoral outcome. But then you had some conspiracy theorists on the left in 2004 questioning Bush's victory because, remember, they talked about the voting machines in Ohio. Mm. Right? Was there a corporate conspiracy to rig the voting machines? Right? And then in 2016, there were a lot of Democrats who said Trump's election was illegitimate because of Russian interference. If you remember the scandal about you know the uh, Putin's nefarious involvement in the election, that made Trump an illegitimate president. And then, of course, Trump's claim that the 2020 election was stolen from him. That's far too many recent elections in which one side or the other has had significant voices challenging the legitimacy of the elected president. And I do fear that that's going to be a major part of our future going forward, uh, whether it's Republicans uh, screaming about fraud or whether it's Democrats claiming suppression or whatever the chosen argument du jour is, both parties have their you know, ready to deploy instantly claim for why the other guys didn't really win. And, and that's not a healthy state for our democracy to be in. I was going to ask you whether... Is that any more than hot air, do you think, or is that something that could really be destabilizing? Well, I am encouraged by the fact that in 2020, there was a lot of hot air. There was a lot of outlandish claims by President Trump and some of his supporters. 
But when the rubber really hit the road in state after state, Republican electoral officials stood up and said, no, we're not going to allow the results of this election to be overturned. And Republicans, whether we're talking about local election officials or governors or secretaries of state or state legislators in Georgia, in Arizona, in Michigan, in Pennsylvania, these Republicans stood up and said, no. Uh, We are going to and all the way up through, by the way, including the vice president of the United States, Mike Pence, who refused pressure to try to, you know, uh, gum up the works in Washington, D.C. during the electoral certification. So in the face of Trump's push, the Republican system time and time again in 2020 held firm and members of his own party said, no, we have to have an authentically democratic process here and we're not going to subvert that but of course since then of course since then we've seen this campaign in different places around the country to to move out those nonpartisan uh actors uh who oversee elections and replace them with uh more partisan bodies or a partisan uh individual uh so this is certainly something that has to be watched in tandem uh with what we were talking about before with the audits absolutely i mean we, we the The follow on to what I just said is that in some of these cases, these Republicans who stood up for the integrity of the process have been, you know, tried people have tried to make them pay a price. Whether whether we talk about the Republican governor of Georgia, who Trump has actually been campaigning against uh, in in the gubernatorial primary, whether we talk about, you know, local Republican electoral officials who have come under intense pressure, uh, that is these Republicans who did did stand up and say, look, whatever minor irregularities may have existed in our state, they should not obscure the fact that Joe Biden won our state, even though I didn't want that to be the case. Joe Biden won our state. And let's be honest about it. People who have said that have come under intense pressure. And that is the one thing to be careful of going forward is whether seeing that elected officials would have a similar level of courage and intestinal fortitude in the future. So that is definitely something to watch. It's good insight, Dr. Wilson. Thank you so much. All right. No problem. Thanks for having me. So I I know it wasn't the main topic of this podcast, but but one of my takeaways from what he just said there is is that Greg Abbott does have a lot more wiggle room on the right than Abbott actually believes. He has a lot more money. He has uh, more experience, but he also has a record to run on. And and, and that's Mm -hmm. where I think that some Republicans see opportunity. I, I would mm-hmm. I'd, I'd be surprised, if, you know, it will be surprising to me to see if, how much changes in the coming months, though. Yeah, it's real interesting to see that he's drawn challengers in the primary. This is by far, I think, the the most conservative uh, legislative session that he has presided over as governor uh, in his time in office. And and as the professor was saying there, uh, he's leading the pack in his own party by a mile. Uh, so so why you know feel the need to keep looking back and and listening or uh, looking at what they're saying? But you know everybody does it their own way. And so uh, here we go. Governor Abbott uh, has a choice to make. You know about this. Uh, demand from the former president that, you know, maybe more needs to be done here to look at what happened in 2020. And at the end of the day, when you zoom out from this, uh, Dr. Wilson from SMU agreed with something you said, that this is what we are in for going forward. And he cited uh, back the 2000 election, which we all remember. uh, And then 2004, when when the uh, the left again in 2004 was upset about the outcome of that, like they were in 2000. 
Uh, in 16, there were there were issues, and now again in 2020, there are issues from the right where they're raising uh, objections, despite everyone saying that it was a, a a free and fair election. Even Bill Barr, who was a former attorney general for President Trump at the time as well. So might we see these elections that just go on and on and on until the next election? No off season anymore. Woo! That's good for a political That's podcast, a lot to handle. though, huh? That, that makes you need a 24-ounce beer. How, how much do you have left, man? Are you done with it? Uh, I have about 21 ounces <laughs> left. It got warm. <laughs> All right. Well, we need to let you guys go so Wheeler can, can down the rest <laughs> of this thing here. Thanks for listening, as always. We'll uh, talk to you again next week.